Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and Happy New Year. Welcome to episode 313 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff. And I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. It is great to kick off the new year with you. Today's episode is brought to you by Belay and by Lifeway. Uh, Ministry Grid in particular. Hang on, we got some brand new stuff for you guys there. And I am so excited to bring you Francis Chan today. Francis has been a guest before. And if you know Francis, he is never boring. And today's a pretty fascinating drill down. So Francis made an address at a university a few months ago. And it kind of blew up one part of the internet, like if you're in certain tribes, what he said. So I know a lot of you are church leaders who are listening, and that's certainly Francis's background. But even if you're a business leader, this is a fascinating conversation on what happens when a small thing you said gets blown up on the internet. It's also kind of a masterclass on how to be human in your responses, because Francis is incredibly vulnerable, which should be no surprise to anybody but he really kind of lets us in and goes, you know, guys, I'm a real person, okay? And and like when when I hear this stuff, like it actually has an impact. And I think this is a pretty helpful conversation to kick off 2020. So I think you're going to love it. Uh, regardless of where you come from or the space you work in, we are all online these days. We all have thoughts about what's happening. And so we're going to actually drill down on the real issue. And then we're also going to talk about how people responded to the real issue which is one of the reasons I love bringing you conversations like this. So um, guys, a new year is upon us. Congratulations. Happy New Year's. We made it into 2020. And is it happy new year or new years? Like that is a really good question. I think it's new year and I just let new years slip out. But anyway, new year's upon us. Hopes and dreams for a fresh start, right? If you have on your goal list increased productivity, Staring down a calendar that's already filling up at an alarming rate can feel like a lost cause. We're only seven days into the new year and you're already like, ah, doesn't have to be. Because Belay, the incredible organization revolutionizing productivity with virtual assistance and bookkeeping services for businesses, churches, and nonprofits alike, is offering a free download of Productivity for the Win, your personal guide to a productive work week. And Everybody who listens to this podcast gets it by using this code. So it's productivity for the win, your personal guide to a productive work week. If you would like that to help you accomplish your 2020 goals, just text CAREY to 31996. That's C-A-R-E-Y to 31996. Now you're one step closer to actually achieving your New Year's resolution. And back in August, you guys may remember, particularly those who follow me on social, that I was working on a few exclusive courses with my friends, because I do courses on my platform, but some exclusive ones for my friends over at Ministry Grid. Well, guess what? Those courses are finally here. For the month of January, you can go to ministrygrid.com forward slash carry and access these brand new courses free. These courses cover common leadership challenges, how you can overcome these leadership obstacles in your church, ministry, or organization. It gets better though. If you complete any of these courses on Ministry Grid, their team will send you a copy of my latest book, Didn't See It Coming, as a gift. There's no strings attached. So head on over to ministrygrid.com forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y. Check out the free courses. It's uh, sort of our gift to you. 
And while you're there, check out their full volunteer training library that you can use at your church. My Church Connexus loves the tool and how it's developing our leaders and our volunteers. So make sure you head on over to ministrygrid.com forward slash carry where, uh, yeah, you can get some free bonuses. It's a nice way to start out 2020 with some free stuff, isn't it? Well, guys, I am really excited. I think this is an important conversation. It kind of goes in some really interesting directions and make sure you listen to the end. I think my favorite thing about this interview is just the humanness of the conversation. And I know we're heading into an election year. Everybody's nervous. I know we're heading into like a, probably the most polarized year that most of us have lived through. Uh, but on the other end of every keyboard, on the other end of every microphone is a real live human being God actually loves. And uh, I hope we remember that this year. And this conversation may get you in that space. I hope you find it as meaningful and helpful as I did. I promise you, it's not boring. Here's my conversation with Francis Chan. Francis, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be back. Never a boring conversation, I can tell you that. <laughs> I know. I, uh, I don't know why that always happens. <laughs> well, we were, we, were saying, we were saying before we started recording, uh, like it's just one of those things where uh, you said something at a university and you blew up the internet, right? So... <laughs> And I thought, ah, let me just address this one crowd and then everyone has their opinion and I don't know. And I guess I'm not, uh, here I am trying to figure out exactly how to say it, uh, yeah. but I'm very good at saying things real precisely and perfectly. And, mm-hmm. and I tend to just kind of speak out of my heart and, and, and sometimes it, uh, it causes confusion and I, I get it. I get yeah. it. Yeah. So the bottom line, and I mean, we're not going to spend the whole podcast here, but you are moving again, correct? Yes. So you want to fill people in on what's actually true? That but that's a good place to start. Okay. My plan, and don't hold no. me to it, because every day is different for me. Like, <laughs> so in a lot of ways, nothing's changed. Right. Like I could tomorrow really, you know, be seeking after God and my time with Him, and and genuinely believe. Africa tomorrow, yeah. you know, and, and I'll do it. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and so I never know day to day, but I believe he is calling me to, at the end of February, um, move to Hong Kong, um, with my entire family. And, uh, I honestly have no idea why, um, is this something Lisa and I felt called to do like eight or nine years ago when we were in Hong Kong? And that was weird because, you know, we were just in India, Thailand, China. And yet when we got to Hong Kong, we separately both felt like God was saying, this is it. Mm. But then shortly after that conversation, I felt like the Lord spoke to me. And, and understand, this is before I was charismatic. I'm like, Honey, I really think God told me to go back to the U.S. and and start a new paradigm of church and and give a different picture of marriage and family. Do was go back to the U.S., but I felt like that's what God told us to do. So now that we've done those things, it's like let's go back to Hong Kong. In fact, a couple months ago, what really spurred it on was I was in another country. And we were ministering just hut to hut in the slums, telling people the gospel and the receptivity. I was like, this is so life-giving. This is so enjoyable. This feels so biblical. 
And it seems like I asked my wife, what do we do on an average day that compares to this? Mm. I, yes. I do. Remember when we got felt called Kong? Let's go. Let's do it. You know, and we'll be closer to all of these unreached groups. And I don't know what God's calling us to, but I think this is time. And so, so that's as much as I know. That's awesome. That's awesome. One of the things I'm always curious about, Francis, is how people hear the call of God. So can you walk us through, was it a feeling? Was it a sensation? Was it like after prayer? Whether Was it the two of you agreeing? Because that's all you know, it gets abused and then sometimes it gets ignored, right? Like on the one hand, you hear the call of God for every bad decision. And I'm not saying it's a bad decision. And other times God's calling and like, you're so suspicious, you don't hear a thing. I probably land more on that side where I'm ignoring the promptings rather than obeying them. So how do you determine, you know what? That's from God. Yeah, I really think the first thing is, you know, like like Peter tells us, we we have to be self-controlled and sober-minded yeah. for the sake of our prayers. Like, I, I've got to clear my mind. I, I can't be watching a million videos and then, you know, and then jump into prayer. It's like, I got to show some self-control. I got to get my mind clear. And then I have to seek him with all of my heart. Like not just lip service, not just whatever, but just pursue him, pursue him regularly, you know, daily, you know, hourly, like, and not just casually, but with all of my heart. And during those times, as I'm in prayer and seeking him, there are times where most of the time, I'd say 99% of the time, it's when I'm reading the scriptures and I get convicted by something and I'm going, Lord, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? But there are a few other times with decisions, and that time in Hong Kong was one of those, where I'm just seeking, like, Lord, I'm trying to figure out where you want me to go. And it wasn't like an audible voice that, you you know, that went through my ears, you know, like, from at least for me. It wasn't. Francis, go to Hong Kong. It wasn't that. An external voice. But, you know, I think it might be something like how... um, you know how in First Corinthians is it two or three where he says, "No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has promised to those who love Him." But God has revealed this to us by His Spirit. So somehow there are ways that God can communicate to us that aren't like you. Like right now, you're looking at me mm-hmm. through. A screen. It's, you know, I can see you, I can hear you in my, you know, physical ears, and it's going cognitively into my brain, however that works, I have no clue. But, you know, I can physically explain it. I can just tell you, somehow, these things were communicated to me. But other people I've talked to, they see pictures, visions, and they'll tell me things that freak me out because they're right on, and they'll nail things in my life where I go, that must have been God because no one could have known that. And it's different for them. So I don't know, for me, that's how it works. No, I appreciate it. And you also hinted at this fact. I just want to test it. Is it a little bit like we all have different personalities? I am very rational. You're like, you know what? I could hear from God and it's Africa by the time, you know, January rolls around. I wonder if some of that is actually, you look at how Bob Goff lives, and I mean, that's genuinely Bob Goff, right? He's an Enneagram 7, and he's just like open, and I know some of that's discipline, but yeah. our personalities are a little bit different. 
And do you think some of how you process is dependent on your personality? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm very skeptical. I am very uh, uh, efficient. Um, yeah. I can't stand like inefficiency. You know, it, it's like, it, like if you took 45 minutes to get this thing going, I would be so annoyed with you, but it's yeah. nice. You just got the point. Let's go. All right. Let's well, go. We try. <laughs> okay. You know, so that's me. And I, and I tend to, you know, I used to just dwell on problems a lot, like everything that could go wrong. Right. Um, my mind tends to go towards negative. And so, so I do tend to think things through. And yet there's this other side of me that God has taught me over the years that look at scripture. There's this sense in which he calls people to do things that they don't know the next step. They can't figure out what's going to happen next. Uh, God's going to say, he just tells them to take the next step. And it's like, okay, Lord, because that's in your scripture, I'm going to try to pursue that also. So I'm kind of this mix of seeing both in scripture and trying to be both. I've got a lot of listener questions. I kind of crowdsource this one. So we'll get to those in a minute, but you've got me really uh, thinking Francis. So um, you know, I'm not into speculation and I, I try not to trend jack or that kind of thing. But I think this is a very interesting case study because you gave a talk. It kind yeah. of broke a segment of the Internet, right, where all of a sudden Francis Chan is, you know, says America is in trouble and he's going overseas again. And what's wrong with the rest of you and the whole deal? So we got from you what you're actually going to do. But yeah. tell me some of the craziest stuff you heard like that you were going to do because that's what happens, right? We live in this, this little bubble right now where <laughs> all yeah. of a sudden, um, yeah. you know, people make up stuff or mishear things. So what are some of the crazy things you heard about what you were going to do? Totally. And I understand, I don't know them all because I stay off of the internet, yeah. but people come up, oh, I'm so sorry about what that guy said about you. And I'm like, don't even tell me. I don't even know. I don't want to know, <laughs> you know, but it all ends up, coming through, you know, friends with good intentions texting me. And, um, you know, I think the big thing was, and I totally get it. Like, uh, you know, the headlines of the, one of the ones that went really viral was like Francis is becoming a missionary to Myanmar. And so suddenly everyone, which I never said that, but I get it. Cause I told a story <laughs> on Myanmar and then I said, I'm moving to Asia. So you put it together. And again, this is a, Azusa Pacific, where they give me like 22 minutes, you know, and then the kids have to be in class. And so I'm just like saying this real quickly as a precursor, like, hey, I've been preaching here 20 years. I'm moving. Here's a couple reasons why. But I had a message like I was going to preach the gospel. And and I feel like I did. I feel like I nailed it. But no one's even listening or talking about that. They're going, oh, those first two minutes, he said this, this, this. And, (laughs) And so suddenly... He, you know, there was this big thing about, oh, he's going to Myanmar. He thinks he can, you know, take over the country and it's all about him. And and, and then people start arguing about this. And I'm like, <laughs> you guys are arguing about what I'm, why my motives are in moving there when I'm not even moving there. You know, and so it's, it's just, it's just weird. It's weird. Yeah. So now people hate me because they think I'm, I'm so arrogant that I think I can take over a country. Um, and that I don't even realize all the other people that are serving there. And I'm going, gosh, how did we get there so quickly? Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of the weirdest ones. I, I'm blank right now. No, that's good. 
this sounds like an easy softball question after that answer, but uh, what are the reasons you stay off the internet? You know, there are a lot of people uh, who love me and, and they say some really kind, uh, flattering things. And if I read all of those, I will get so arrogant and into myself. And then there are a lot of people that are just trying to write the most abrasive things they can to, yeah. to get more listeners and viewers and, and some that maybe find fault in me, which there's plenty to find. And they'll say some of the most cruel, biting things. And if I watch all that, listen to that, it'll make me angry, bitter, sad. Like, I'm human, you know? I don't want to pretend yeah. like this tough guy. You can say anything about me. It doesn't bother. No, it, it, it hurts at times. I, I think I've developed thicker skin, but you know, it can discourage you from the body of Christ. And so I feel like neither of those are good. Too much flattery, too much criticism. Uh, how much can one person take? And meanwhile, I want to just hear from the Lord and not from everyone else. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, Francis. And I mean, I'm online uh, probably a lot more than you are. But one of the things people will, like, I didn't write about what you said yeah. <laughs> at Azusa Pacific. And people will often text me or message me and go, you need to write about this pastor who fell. And I'm like, I don't even know what to say. Like, like how do you? And so I want you to counsel um, people on social media. So the next time there's a Francis Chan moment where you say something at a university and it blows up the Internet, I, I would love for you to let us know what do you think the best course of action is? Because I think you, you, what really resonated with me is you nailed it. People were question people who have never met you, who probably never will meet you, who don't know you are questioning your motives based on a two and a half minute excerpt and a 22 minute speech. Like uh, what would you say to people who want to jump on and, uh, and express their opinions on something like that? Yeah. I think if I ever say anything that is clearly anti-biblical, um, you have a um, you have a responsibility to uh, really think that through and evaluate it. You know, just like we see mm -hmm. the in Scripture, that's good. Amen and amen. Please don't just listen to everything you hear, um, but listen to everything. I mean, don't just believe yeah. everything. You do. Yeah. yeah, but you need to listen to everything you hear. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what uh, what I would say is. Try to look at someone's life um, and everything that they've said. Uh, you know, like James says, like if, if anyone never slips of his tongue, he's a perfect person, um, <laughs> right? And so I'm going to say things that are wrong. I, during this podcast, or whatever you call it, is this a podcast? Yeah, it's a podcast, yeah. sure. Okay, okay great. Yeah. Um, I will say things that are not perfect. I promise mm. you please consider looking at my whole life and uh, and going, gosh, this has been, you know, uh, 35 years this guy's been in ministry. Here's what he has said all along. And here's what he has done in his life. And look at the context. Consider. And then consider the context of I'm still in my fallen state. And uh, and I am going to make mistakes. And But also consider maybe... Uh, 
don't always assume that you've got the right answer. And so everyone I listen to, I compare it to, you know, the way I think and the way I've been taught, maybe just listen and consider, gosh, maybe this guy has something to share and, and teach me. I think, I think in my early days, I thought I knew everything and, <laughs> you know, and, and people had nothing to teach me. And I was taught all oh, this guy's a heretic, this guy's a heretic, this, and you get to know when you hear and you go, yeah, maybe he's off on this, but man, I sure can learn from this area of his life. And who knows if he's wrong on that. I, come with humility. I was a number one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, think you are you know like who do i think i am like i'm a fallen man i'm gonna say things that are off man i'm trying to seek the lord man i'm trying to follow him and i'm trying to use the best of this human brain and maybe god gave you a better brain okay i I don't know (laughs) but, but just consider maybe yours isn't perfect either and and we're striving and 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 look at the scriptures and uh I don't know. Pay more attention to the scriptures than what I say or anyone else, you know, so. That's a good point. I also think, you know, there's certain cases where there's flagrant violation or whatever. And, and, you know, but generally speaking, number one, give someone like Francis the benefit of the doubt. Like just give you the benefit of the doubt. I think that's good. Unless it's like, as you say, a clear, clear violation. And, And secondly, I'm not sure the world needs my take on everything that happens, <laughs> right? I'm not sure yeah. I have to have a running narrative on every event. Yes. And, and that's also why I don't do the social media thing. It's like, yeah. I want to feel like I've got to answer everything. I'm not an expert at everything. And, <laughs> and that is something a lot of these young people need to hear is, yeah, we really don't need another running commentary. And I, I know you believe you're brilliant, but just consider maybe you're just one, you know, we don't think about uh, working together and the yeah. unity that Christ wants. And, uh, and let's figure out how to work together more and have more private conversations and true fellowship rather than everything being um, for the whole world to listen to. Thanks so much for processing that sort of out loud in public, yeah. because I think that really is helpful. And we are in a really weird cultural moment right now. that I hope doesn't last forever. And maybe we can just see that there's a real person behind that microphone or behind that account or whatever. Yeah, go ahead, Francis. I'd say that, uh, you you know, like everyone that's listening, don't you get into conversations every day, you walk away and you go, I should have said that differently. Ah, I should have said this. Oh, Mm -hmm. I should have said that. We all do that. And so understand that just because someone is in public, having a conversation that suddenly we have, you know, we don't, we don't just consider their humanity. Um, especially I think like, like this, we're not, yeah. we're not, we didn't sit down and script out every word we we're going to say. We're trying to be two human beings, having a conversation, learning from one another. And I'll walk away from it going, Oh, I should have said this differently. We all do that. And, and there are times when you're like, Oh, I said that. I didn't mean to say that. Is that, that, that <laughs> the word? I think I've already done that a couple of times where I'm like, hey, don't hear everything you listen to. That's not what yeah. I meant. No, I'll you lead know? with that story. Francis misspeaks. Yeah. Don't hear everything you listen to. You know, yes. like it's just, it's insane. And I think the thoughtful conversation, the longer narrative, and treating each other with some, 
you know, dignity and respect. And yeah, if there's a, a, a clear line that's been crossed where someone clearly has done something that really harms other human beings or, uh, you know, angers God, that's a different type of conversation. But yeah, the, oh, you're moving to wherever, it's just the weirdest things that blow up. Well, we do have some good, uh, li- yeah, go ahead. Go well, ahead, I keep want going. I say something to this because it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's all my heart because, you know, right now it's very popular. We have a million heresy hunters out there that <laughs> want to say, hey, all these guys are heretics except for me and my four pastors I like, right? And it's everyone is doing this now, and it's, it's just blowing up. So everyone's finding the little, you know, sound bites where this guy messed up, and they'll play it over and over and over, and, and they'll say, see, we have to disassociate with these people. Um, and they'll quote like, oh, because Second John says to disassociate with them. Well, Second John says it's about those who don't believe are saying Jesus did not come in the flesh. It's it's not saying yes. it's not just a blanket statement of anyone who disagrees with your theology. Um, but what Scripture does say is to warn the divisive person once, warn him again, then have nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm. The Scripture talks about division, and those are the people we need to stay away from. And so. A lot of times you've got these people that almost get a free pass because they're heresy hunters. And so we have to respect them because they're really intelligent, but they're the very ones that are bringing division to the body of Christ. And they're the very ones we need to stop listening to according to Scripture. And they're misquoting Scripture saying, oh, yeah, we should disassociate with this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy who's a dear brother in Christ. You know, they're saying, you know, he should be cursed. We should disassociate with him and him and him. And I'm just saying, be on the lookout for that, because Christ loves unity. Just like every dad out there listening, you would hate if your kids were divided. You do anything mm-hmm. to bring the family together. That's our father. And let's pay attention to all this garbage that's out on the Internet that's trying to divide the body of Christ and speaking so blatantly and blasphemy against some of God's servants. So, sorry, I just had to get that off. No, that's really well said. And it's funny because I just finished up last week for second and third John, just to my own personal reading. As I would exegete that text, it had a lot more to do with love than it did about judgment. That is, that is, those are the love books, guys. Like this is, this is all about, you know, the love of God. And uh, I, I hear you, Francis. Anything else on that? This is really good. And I think really helpful. Yeah, I mean... Christ told us, look, when you can become perfectly one, then the world will know Mm. that I was sent by the Father. And so look at where the evangelical church is today. It is, it's, it's, it's not that, please, I hope I'm not coming across like, oh, my feelings are hurt, and this is why I'm saying this. I'm seriously going, Gosh, I look at Scripture and go, Jesus wants this so badly. I know the heart of a father, and just even as an earthly dad, how much I want this unity. And I'm seeing it all through the Scriptures. And this isn't a little side note. Unity is not a little side. I think I I read something on Saturday where this guy said, unity is the most divine word we have. And I thought, unity? And then he unpacked it, and he talked about 
Christ died on the cross that we could be one, unified with God, unified with one another. You know, like what is most precious to us is that I am one with Christ right now. That is the greatest. I am one with the Father. Right? I, I have this union with him. There's nothing more important to me. And, and so he's just explaining in the same way, there's this picture of unity in the Trinity, what we believe our core foundation of how they, are they three? Are they one? It's, they're one. They're just so one that, that you can't even call them three. And that's what he wanted for the church. And so when we flippantly and casually bash another guy and cause division, we're destroying the temple of God. And in, then in, in 1 Corinthians 3, it's like, don't you get that you plurally are forming one temple? And if anyone destroys that temple, God will destroy him because God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And so it's like, whoa, we've got to get serious about this. It's not just, oh, that'd be nice if we all got along. Yeah, it, yeah. This is at the foundation of what Christ did on the cross he made the two one. Oh, that's a good word and, and a word really needed in our culture right now, Francis. Well, we do have some listener questions and they're good. It's going to sound funny after what we just talked about, but we have great listeners. Uh, they don't get into the trenches and like, you know, sling mud. Uh, but Joe Gustafson wondered uh, at that in now infamous address, uh, what did you mean by you don't want to be called a coward? on your decision to move overseas? What was what was underneath that? Or is that even an accurate uh, statement of what you said? Honestly, I don't remember you saying it. I probably did. And if I did, <laughs> no better than me. Again, I, like, I don't know what I said 10 minutes ago. So um, if I said I don't want to be a coward, then I would have been thinking um, Revelation 21, um, just about, you know, he's talking about... Uh, those who get to be in this place with no more tears, no more sickness, no more pain. But then right after that, I think it's verse seven or eight. He says, oh, yeah. but as for the cowardly, you know, and I'm like, wow, that's the first thing he mentions. And I think about, is it Hebrews 10 where he says, I don't want to be a, we are not of those who shrink back. And so there are times in my life when I'm called to do something that scares me. And Many times I chicken out and it kills me. There are times when I just feel like, oh, I'm supposed to talk to that guy right there and share the <laughs> gospel. Uh, he's going to reject me. Uh, I should do it. And sometimes I do it and sometimes I don't. And I hate that. I don't want to be that coward. And so when I do think about moving overseas, um, there are things that definitely scare me. I know God is with me and there's a sense in which I'm fearless but my mind is like everyone else. It can wander into dangerous things. Um, Hong Kong's not the safest place right now. And some of the oh, other yeah. places I'm venturing to go, I've heard of people dying there and this and that. And, you know, I, I'm not, I would say I'm like 90% not afraid to die for my faith. Um, but depending on what I dwell on and torture or whatever else, I get scared like everyone else. And I, I don't want that. My God is not a coward, so I don't want to be one. Yeah. You know, I look over my life and there's lots of things where I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> and, and so much of faith is just taking that step when you have no guarantee of the outcome. And uh, I love that. William Nelson wants to know, 
Not all of us are called to minister in other countries. So what's your advice for those of us who are called to stay and lead in the North American, or we can broaden this, the Western church? Because you're right, San Francisco probably feels a lot safer than Hong Kong right now. So what about those of us who remain in, uh, you know, the the Western or developed world? It's it's cool that his name is William Nelson. Yeah. Asking why I'm on the road again. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid joke. Okay. Um, So Willie Nelson, here's what I would say. I I uh, really believe you just got it, huh? I just got it. I'm like, is he an explorer? <laughs> there's a, see on my note, there's a K. It's K N E L S and Willie Nelson. I get it. Thanks, Francis. Uh, I'm slow. Absolutely, not all of us should be on the road again. Um, we should. Uh, and, and this is this is an important thing. This is an important thing. Okay, because. Whenever I do something, there seems to be a pocket of people that think I'm saying everyone should do exactly what I'm doing, yeah. right? And I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you what I'm doing. And I'm telling you the motives behind why I'm doing what I'm doing. Now, there are certain times if I'm repenting of sin, hey, let's all do that, okay? You know, but when there are times when I just go, look, here's why I'm doing it. I'm not saying everyone should do exactly what I do. For example, I a lot of times when I get up to preach, I have no idea what I'm going to say. I don't have a plan. That is the worst thing that some of you should do. Uh, now, for me, I've been preaching for 30-something years. I used to preach in a place where I preach the same sermon five or six times in a row. So I've got these scriptures. I've got this backlog. I've got... I've been studying this book and I study it all week and I teach it all week. So I can go up on a stage and pseudo wing it. Um, But for some of you that haven't been preaching for 30 years to just get up on a stage, there's going to be a lot of heresy coming out. So (laughs) I understand there's certain things I do because it's my specific calling at this point in my life. I'm not saying everyone should leave the U S and everyone should go to Hong Kong um, there's unique things like I am Chinese and I did grow up in Hong Kong and there is an affection and there, you know, there's, I did go there, you know, so there's a lot of that. And so for those who are called to stay in the U.S. and you've really sought it out, you know, I know I've sought the Lord. He told me to praise God. And I would just say, if I have one piece of advice, I would say, let your theology dictate your practice. Mm. And why I say that is we have a tendency in the U.S. to do what we think will work in ministry. Mm. So Mm. we do seminary and we learn our theology, and then we'll go to different church growth seminars and learn how to actually run a church. And I'm saying, no, that, that, that shouldn't be. Like somehow, as we look at our, our theology and go, gosh, according to my theology, it's the spirit who gives life and uh, the flesh is of no help at all. So if I believe that and I believe, okay, this is about the spirit, then I would spend a lot more time on my knees begging for the power of the Holy Spirit that as I preach this simple gospel message, they'll change, you know? But my practical side, uh, my human wisdom side will go, gosh, I think, you know, if we lead off with a, a 
a song. So, you know, maybe if we do a secular song, maybe a Willie Nelson song, you know, we'll sing that and, and that'll pull people in. And then, you know, if I have, you know, you know, good looking girls on the stage, oh, that'll pull people in. And then if I bring in like a someone famous, oh, that'll draw people in. And then if I just the first week tell them, hey, God is good. See you next week. And I'll slowly ease them in. And I, I'll come up with this methodology, you know, but I'm, I'm, that's the way Francis would think. Francis mm. wouldn't think, you know, like Paul says, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 4, where he says, I don't, we don't, I refuse to use cunning, but with an open declaration of truth. Because I, I, I try not to just say things so cleverly, but I'm just going to declare it openly because um, he says, if you're blinded, it's because the God of this world has darkened your mind. So you can't see, you, you can't see. And he goes, so I'm just going to lay it out and see if the Holy Spirit doesn't do a miracle. Um, wow. That's what my theology would teach me. But what Francis Chan thinks is, well, I don't want to talk about the judgment of God because that's going to be offensive to people. So I'm not going to openly declare that. Let me hide some things about God um, until I feel like they're ready for it. And I don't know that I would get that from Scripture. I feel like Jesus, the first time he met with people, he didn't ease them into anything. He has a crowd of thousands and says, look, unless you're willing to pick up that cross, you know, and die with me, deny yourself, unless you're willing to hate your father, mother, wife, kids, you're not worthy of me. Like he just threw it out there. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think sometimes we just try to get too clever and think that in the flesh we can do something. But I say that based on scripture. And that's my best understanding of scripture. I'm realizing I got caught up in trying too hard to appease people. And with my mind thinking I had it, a way of talking them into Jesus, but I wouldn't get that if I just read the scriptures. So please study the scriptures and make practical decisions based upon the scriptures. That kind of dovetails nicely into the next question. Clayton Bell, um, and maybe that's also a musician, said, uh, do, do you have any fear that you're creating an, an, and again, I mean, Francis, you hear this for just what it says, disdain for the American church. Many of us love her, labor in her. Do those who don't know the difference between entertainment and religion not deserve outreach? Uh, why are they treated as less by so many? So it sounds like a bit of a loaded question, but I think I know Clayton. I've seen his stuff. He doesn't mean anything by it. But it is that tension of we live in an entertainment culture, and a lot of churches are doing exactly what you said. What would let me let me reframe that a little bit? What would you give as advice to the American church, realizing you just wrote a book called Letters to the Church a year yeah. ago? But what would you say to that tension where, well, we are in a culture where people are like hyper entertained, and uh, and how how would you address that? Yeah, yeah. Now let me let me answer. Like he says, do I create like a disdain disdain for the American church? You know, I probably do. I probably do. I even write about this in the book. I said, it's so hard, like, um, sorry, I don't have all my verses perfect, but it's... <laughs> I don't either. First Thessalonians 3, 12-ish, um, where it says, admonish the unruly and encourage the faint-hearted. 
admonish the unruly and encourage the faint-hearted. And I write about this in the book. I go, look, whenever I write something for everyone, I'm going to end up admonishing the faint-hearted and encouraging the unruly. You know what I mean? It's like, how do you write something that's going to, well, if you just encourage everyone, then those who need to be kicked in the butt, you know, and and then others, if you just hug it, you, you know, if you just, you know, admonish everyone, there's others who need to be hugged. And yeah. And, okay. So I can do that in a small gathering with people I know. And, but, you know, it's, it's like anytime I preach, I go, God, this is impossible. This is impossible. I'm going to, the people that I'm actually, that I know need to be admonished, they may feel hugged. And then other people here are trying their best. They're seeking out the Lord. It's going to sound like I'm just telling them they're worthless. Like, I don't know how to do this, Lord. I don't know. Please, Holy Spirit, have those right words come out because people are so quick to pick up on one thing. And But, you know, you preach something and then someone comes up to you afterwards and and they'll pick out one thing and think you meant to say this. And you're like, that wasn't any bit of my message. I'm so sorry, but but I'm also completely confused as to how you got that. Because you realize I am going to be off in how I communicate and they're going to be off on how they listen. And it's like a perfect storm. So yes, I'm sure I've made people angry that I didn't mean to. And the last thing I want, and I write about that, like the last thing I I think it's my book, I'm like, gosh, some young guy is going to throw this book at his pastor and say, see, your church is all screwed up. And I'm even warning against that. Like, I, I, it's never going to be perfect. And it's, and it's so frustrating. So yes, and I apologize to everyone if I've caused division in the body of Christ. That's certainly not it. And yet at the same time, I'm sorry for those who I haven't confronted hard enough because I chickened out or I was... <laughs> I'm just going to mess up on that. And so what I will say is, um, gosh, what I said earlier, just don't just take that one talk. Um, try to, what I was saying about, use your theology and your practice. Um, have your practice flow from your theology. That's, that's what I'm trying to say, is I don't think we're believing some of these words of God. Just like what we talked about earlier, unity. Like, you wouldn't think that if we became perfectly one, that now suddenly unbelievers are going to believe in their own destruction and our salvation. But that's what Philippians 1.27 says. Um, You know, it's when we're side by side, they're going to believe in their destruction. And we think, no, that's not going to do it. I think entertaining them will. And I'm like, "Mm, yeah, maybe. Give it a shot. uh, So on that note, there's a phrase that circulates. I've used it at times. Use the culture to reach the culture. So you might do that Willie Nelson song or another song or, uh, you know, and and every church. I mean, even, and we've talked about this last time when you were in Simi Valley, you know, you use use amps, you use lights, that kind of stuff. Where is the line? Because that was one of the questions under... Uh, his question too, it's like, should you never ever use that stuff? Or, or how do you know? Like, I, what are you thinking? Yeah, I what I try to do in the book was talk about what is clearly biblical. Okay, right. And 
my favorite, my favorite thing that I wrote uh, that I most enjoyed was a chapter called The Sacred. Um, gosh, you know, when I, you know, this week we're reading through Ezekiel and Revelation as our church. And it's like, wow, the way worship is in heaven. And we're saying, God, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, man, look at how they do it. Look at how sacred it is. Look at this is beautiful. Everything centered around him. And so in our quest to relate to the culture, I just fear we have really lost this sense that they're not the world is not seeing a reverent church that fears God and is is just so serious about him. I really be they're actually confused. Um, by how culturally rebel, relevant we're trying to be, and now suddenly we're not as strange as we ought to be. Okay. Trent uh, Hardy says, mm-hmm. how is your what you've been doing for the last few years in San Francisco, your home church method, improving your members' connectivity and spiritual maturity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, let me, let me address that first. Um, I'm kind of getting known as the house church guy, which, you know, now I'm the missionary guy or whatever. You know, like I've never believed that house churches were the answer. Um, you know, so first, let me just say that uh, you can have horrible house churches, blasphemous house churches. You can be a house church led by uh, a guy who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ and does not walk deeply with him. And so spiritual growth is not, okay, let me go to a house church. Um, for me, it was just some, somewhat of a practical side where I'm going, gosh, in order for people to truly know each other's needs, use their spiritual gifts, I don't know how I can do that if there's a thousand people in a room and I'm speaking for 40 minutes of that hour. Yeah. Um, how's everyone, you know, so I'm just going, okay, how are they going to know each other? How are they going to, how are we going to display this unity that I was talking about? You know, and a lot of times you can spend 10 years in a building and not know a person. And so I'm, I was just trying to figure out a structure yeah. where there was time for that and where one person could really disciple and know who's unruly and who, you know, is faint hearted. And, and I was also trying to figure out a way to spread it to thousands and thousands, possibly millions, and not be stuck and limited by a building. I, I mean, there's a ton of other reasons, but I would say if, you know, in a house gathering, it's done well, you have a leader who loves the Lord with all of his heart, knows him deeply, and loves the people in that room and takes time to shepherd and care for their needs and pray for them where everyone's prayed for daily, you know, by their shepherd and knows, you know, and the, the shepherd knows them by name and, you know, in, in, a, in a perfect setting. And everyone comes believing, I have a supernatural gift, like a manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. I'm going to come because I love these people so much. So everyone's coming. I love these people so much. And God, give me something. Give me a gift. I, not just my own human encouragement. Give me this 
supernatural spiritual gifts so that when I gather with those guys, I can bless them. I can bless them. If everyone comes like that, giving to one another, having been alone with God and now sharing what you've learned from the Lord, you know, and you've got a leader that loves those people, man, there's going to be tremendous spiritual growth. And I've seen that. Um, but to say that that's happening in all of our house churches, absolutely not. But but hopefully that gives you a little bit of a picture. Yeah, yeah. Done well, you, you, you could probably imagine how it, it really would be life-giving. What have been, just a follow-up, what have been some surprises with uh, the house church thing that you've been doing for the last six or seven years? Like what have been the, the positive and the negative surprises? Like, huh, I thought it would be a lot bigger or I thought it would be smaller. It's a lot bigger, I, you know. I thought yeah. people would be deeper and, you know, people are still people. Like in, in that vein, what has been like, hey, this was awesome. And it's like, wow, why didn't this work? Yeah. What's been awesome is leadership. Hmm. People grow so much when they have responsibility. Um, just like we grew as parents the moment that child came. It's like, oh, my gosh, I got to take parenting seriously. <laughs> I wouldn't have grown like that just by reading parenting books. Um, and not having my own child. And in the same way, I've seen these leaders when they're in charge, there's been a growth in them. This like they're spiritual giants now, our elders. I I am learning so much from them um, because we're all doing the same thing. So I, I the camaraderie, the the fact that I I now am fed so much by these other guys. I. I never, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting to, to feel so little pressure of being the man. Um, uh-huh. In fact, I'm learning so much from them because they're growing so fast. So that's the good surprise. The bad surprise has been um, uh, a lot of people gravitate, people that gravitate toward this model tend to be people that... Um, are angry at the church, um, maybe burned by authority. So they think this is a way, yeah, I'll just do my own thing. I'll do what Francis did. Yeah, forget the establishment and I don't want it to be corporate and I'm gonna come and do my own thing. And and that type of attitude that, you know, kind of got them to leave another place in anger, you know, is gonna manifest here also. Um, and so we've seen a lot of that. Uh, there's just, we didn't take into account the, just where our culture is that you see is everyone has their own opinion and everyone does what's right in his own eyes. And so it's been a lot harder to explain authority because I, I absolutely believe in biblical authority. And this is not, this was not an attempt to rid the church of authority. In a lot of ways, we're doubling down on authority and saying, look, we're, we're going to have this servant leader that's going to be in such close proximity to you. Um, whereas a lot of times you don't even have that. And so it's almost like they're coming expecting less authority and, you know, uh, just more independence. And they're saying, yeah, it's actually the opposite. <laughs> We want a deeper accountability to one another. So that's caused a, a lot of people to say, okay, fine, I'm leaving and I'm going to start my own thing. Wow. No, thank yeah. you for that. So this came up a few times, Greg Davenport, Josh Cox, among them asking, you've held different roles in the kingdom of God. What do you see as the difference between a role and a calling? 
Mm. And does a calling change, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm the best one to answer that question. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I've thought through that much. You know, like I, I think of like Jeremiah's calling. That's the first thing that comes to my mind or whatever you want to call it. Is yeah, yeah. You know, God tells him, look, before you were born, I knew you. And I determined before you even came out of your mother's womb that you were going to be a prophet to the nations. So I don't know if you would call that his calling, his role, but somehow in the amazing foresight of God, he knew he needed this prophet at this time. So he creates Jeremiah at this time and decides before he even comes out of his mother's womb, this is what you're going to do. And you are a prophet and this is what you're going to do. So I believe that about myself. I go, God, I was born at this time. I don't have any clue why you suddenly put me and given me this platform. Sometimes I try to hide and you just make it bigger. So I don't know what that's about. I don't know why, you know, sometimes I just want to um, just be unnoticed. Maybe like, I don't want everyone watching me, you know? And so that's part of the, you know, no social media, not, you know, taking pictures of me everywhere I am. It's like, I just want to hear from you, Lord, and go do this thing. But somehow other people take pictures of me and record it and send it out. And I'm like, okay, God, maybe, maybe that's your will. Obviously, somehow it's your will. I, I don't know. Let me just try to walk in faithfulness today. And maybe, you know, sorry to go too long on this, but maybe because I don't understand um, and my mind is too simple, I just do things and and say things as I feel called and led by the Spirit, by the Word, to do them. And I don't take into account, okay, but maybe I do have some other role, and that's why everyone's listening in and thinking that I'm setting this example for everyone to follow. Like, hmm. I don't know, does that, does that even make sense? No, it makes does a lot of sense. And what I've, what I've heard you say throughout the interview, Francis, is that, you know, when you get up at uh, Azusa or wherever, you're like, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. I'm telling you what I'm doing. I'm not telling you what to do. That's what I'm hearing. And so maybe if I understand and embrace my role, like maybe there is a role that I was called to be in that I don't quite understand, um, then I'd be more careful about my words and thinking of how everyone's going to hear them. But the, the, the dangerous thing about that, though, is I, I started going down that road and I'm just like, Every statement I would make, I'm thinking, how's this going to be taken? How's this going to be taken? Yeah, yeah. It looks at me like this and everyone looks, and pretty soon I'm just not even me anymore. And I'm not even communing with God. I'm just thinking about what everyone thinks in this specific role I've been given. And so I would say it's just a caution. It's interesting too, Francis. I, I don't know what your take would be on this, but you know, when I, last time we talked, you know, you You'd been out of Cornerstone for a while. Then you've done this thing in San Francisco. You traveled the world. Then you did the thing in San Francisco, yeah. uh, which you're wrapping up now. Now you're going to Hong Kong and who knows where you will be. But what I see in that is freedom. I, I see a calling on your life, but I see a freedom in expression. Do you know what I mean? Okay, so I expressed that for a little while in California. And then I felt a shift in the wind. I felt a shift in my heart. Uh, we went to Asia, then we went here, now we're going here. 
I'm wrapping up 25 years of ministry this year in our community. I'm still going to go to the church, but I'm, I'm morphing out of, you know, full-time leadership, but see this podcast and some of the other things I'm doing as much as ministry. It's a, it's a continuation of a calling just to shift in role. And I wonder if sometimes we straightjacket ourselves into almost that our ministry becomes a sentence or our calling becomes a sentence and we just have to stay in it forever and ever. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, no, that's good. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to add something first. Like, I do think there's responsibility. Like, yeah. I have responsibility to the body. And I, and I want people who are listening to understand that as Lisa and I came back from Myanmar, you know, we talked about the church. There were times when I felt like the church was not ready. So I'm not leaving yet. Um, yes. Because I, I don't think they're ready for this. This time it's like, gosh, look at these leaders. They're insane. They're just like, ah, they're ready. This, I think this is the time. And so that's also with leaving the U.S. Sometimes I feel like, gosh, I think I've said everything I know to say. And sometimes I, I think I'm more of a distraction to Christ because it just starts these like intramural battles. Um and it's just too much attention on me. And the more I try to put it on Christ, somehow it gets back to me. And it just feels like ah, there's a completion. Like, like maybe I've done it and now it's time to move on. And we'll, we'll never know till we stand before God 100%. Were yeah. you really supposed to go on? You know, trying, I, do I look back at Cornerstone days and go, gosh, should I have stayed? Maybe. You know, there's one time we almost broke off and just did house churches there. Should I have stayed and demanded that? Uh, maybe. You know, should I have stayed in India? Should I have stayed in Thailand? Should I, you know, there's always doubt. Um, but I'm in that night. You know, you just make a decision based on if I had to stand before God today, Almighty God, best I understand, Lord, this is what I think you want me to do. Ah, that's a good word. Uh, James QB asks, what's your hope for America? Do you still have hope for America? And if so, what is it in the journey? No, hope. Yeah, of, no course. Hope. <laughs> of course I have hope for America. Yeah. You know, but I think part of the hope is people not uh, just gravitating to like a personality to either love him or hate him. The hope has to be in, you know, I, I remember uh, one of my mentors from India took me to a speaking, he was in the U.S. and drove me to a speaking engagement, you know, and again, there's horses and, you know, chariots and, you know, lights fly. I mean, literally, it was like, wow. And he just started laughing. He goes, you Americans, he, he goes, no one will show up unless there's a great speaker. And no one will show up unless, you know, there's this or this. And he goes, in India, when we hear that communion is going to take place, we get excited. We get so excited. And I thought, whoa, you guys get excited to take communion? Like that'll draw a crowd, the body and blood of Christ? You, you don't need Francis Chan? That's weird. You know, and yet you just go, oh, that's so beautiful. Gosh, that's so honoring the Lord. So so people will go to a prayer meeting just to pray? Like people show up to pray? 
that's so weird to me. Uh, you know, my hope, my desire is that somehow we can get away from everyone wanting to become a personality or attach themselves to a personality. And we attach ourselves to the, the body and blood of Jesus. I, I have a hope that, that people will talk more and more about their time alone with Jesus going, oh, I was with Jesus this morning. I was reading his word. It was so beautiful. I have a hope that, that people would say, oh, I was with the body of Christ, my brothers and sisters. And there's something so powerful when we come together as a body. And then we took of the body and blood of Christ and he was there. He was with me. And then the way the Holy Spirit moved in us as we just we just fell in reverence to God and it's just all about the Lord and it's all about Jesus and it's about the body and less and less about did you hear this guy's sermon you know I thought it was stupid oh I thought it was amazing you know and it's like we have to get back and get excited so a couple more questions, Francis. Thanks for being just so open and, and so transparent. Luke, Luke Simmons asked a question really about generations. So, you know, you've been in ministry 30 years, but when you look at younger leaders, in what areas do you see younger leaders swinging the pendulum too far away from legitimate weaknesses in the church or leadership? Like, do you, do you, I guess it's probably a pendulum swing question. Is there anything yeah. in the younger generation that makes you a bit nervous? That's good. No, I, I see the younger generation seeing faults in leadership um, of the older generation and, and rightly so. I mean, guys are falling left and right. Um, and, and there are so many that don't, they don't resemble Christ. When they look at him, they go, gosh, I just don't see Jesus acting that way. I don't see Jesus living that way. And I, and I, I get that, that. That's good. But you're, what they're doing is they're kind of throwing out, we talked about this earlier, the whole thought of authority and the whole thought of what can I learn from an older person. And they'll get in their you know, basement and start their own podcast and go, you know what? Hey, you know, all these guys are off, so I'm going to set the record straight. And there's a lot of that going on. And they themselves becoming that authority almost feel like they have nothing to learn from that older generation. Yeah. And I get it. There's there's mistakes. Like I'm openly saying I make mistakes too. Um, but there's just certain things that you learn from older people um, and that that the Bible even speaks about telling the older women to teach the younger women how to, you know, love their husbands and raise their kids well and work hard. And there's something that they can give. And, and so when we're just a younger group trying to figure out on your own, there's something you miss in that multi-generational church. And I get it. Okay. Here, here's, here's an example. Like I grew up in a uh, Chinese church and and so the, you know, so we'd always have translation and, and my <laughs> isn't very good. And so I'd have to listen to the translator, but the translator didn't translate very good. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what's better to listen to. Meanwhile, there's this older generation that only spoke Chinese and all of us really want to speak English. All our friends do. And there's just so much like, uh, 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 the way they do things versus the way we do things. You know, they have these meaningless rituals and, gosh, we just want to get to the point. And so it's like, 
well, it just seems more efficient. You just go do your thing. I'll start something new. And at my age now, I'm starting to realize maybe we made some mistakes. Maybe it was okay to sit through the translation. I, I start dreaming. I go, what if I was in a bilingual church? Maybe there was a, you know, maybe I, I speak in English for 15 minutes and the Chinese, you know, I have another pastor who, who speaks in Chinese, you know, and he, he does the same message for 15 minutes. And what if all the English speakers prayed for the Chinese speakers during the time that the guy was doing the translation or the speaking and vice versa? And God looks down and says, man, that's a lot more work, but they want to be unified. They want to be together. And it takes a lot more effort, but it's such a better picture of the body of Christ. And isn't there a sense in which if we were a little more patient with each other and going, okay, yeah, I don't see things that way, but, I'm, but I want to be one with you. So yes, it'd be more efficient if we just did a one language service. But man, maybe if I just spent the time praying for you and, and we had all the generations together, and then when the English speaker is speaking, why don't you pray for us? And God looks mm. down, sees this unity and this oneness. And so parents maybe even are explaining to their kids during the service a little bit or afterwards and because it wasn't perfect for the kid. And you have these conversations, but we, we work harder to be together. Um, I, I guess, you know, it's, it's kind of give and take. I, I just believe that's got to be the future where let's, let's not just throw out the old people and the old way of doing things. Because, one last word, uh, I've been reading stuff about the ancient church, like the early yeah. earth church, and some of the rituals that probably have become meaningless for a lot of people. And I used to look at, oh, what's the point in that? That just seems like meaningless repetition. And you start, I'm starting to read why they did those things, and I'm going, whoa, that would be awesome. That's actually really wise. Gosh, some of the stuff I came up with sounds really stupid compared to that. Can you give me an example of an ancient tradition that is kind of capturing your attention? Okay. Um, okay. Like one of the things like with the offerings, like I'm, I, yeah, I'm reading a lot of things they do in preparation for the Eucharist. of okay. actually take the body and the blood and, and it wasn't just a haphazard thing. It wasn't like, hey, there's bread and, and you know, juice in the back, grab it. Um, but there were just, just, I'm trying to think of little things like even the offerings and how, how they would lay the offerings at the, you know, we see it in scripture of, you know, bring oh, yeah. the apostles feet. Um, but there was this, this, this thing that the early church did where they would put it in on this table and, and you would, you would come having resolved thought through, here's what I want to bring to the widows, to the orphans. And eventually they would bring it, those, all those gifts onto the table where the body and blood were, because they were saying that's Christ and, and Christ and I are one and Christ is this, is, is sacrificial. That's what we're celebrating. And here's my sacrifices because we're one body right now. We have the mind of Christ. We're sacrificial. We bring just like Christ gave everything. That's why I give this is Christ gave everything to me. And so that's why my offering is there on the table where his body and blood are is because we are 
by nature, by who Christ made us because of the cross, we give to one another, we sacrifice. And I'm thinking, whoa, you know, there was on and on and on as I'm reading about it going, that is so beautiful. And yet, what did I do at my church? I thought, well, if we pass the plate, and that feels like you're guilting people into it. And then it takes a lot of time. And then we got to figure out what to do as we're passing the plate. I don't want to solo every week. And so let's just put offering baskets in the back and you can throw it in if you want to. This way, no one's pressured. doesn't take any time from the service. You know, like I'm just so casually, efficiently doing something and they are putting so much effort and time into this to make it a meaningful act of worship. And in the olden days, I would have said, that's dude, that would take forever. That's good. And I'm going, no, it's actually brilliant. Yeah. What if everyone came with an offering and really thought about that in light of the offering of Christ? Oh, what an amazing act of worship, right? That's one, I'm learning like a hundred of these things and going, oh, I want to worship like that. So. Francis, a couple more quick questions. Uh, and this one's kind of funny. She didn't mean it to be funny, Melanie McLaughlin, but in light of our whole conversation. And I want you to hear this. This is not like, hey, what you said last week or what you said, but looking back on 30 years of teaching, three decades, are there any of your teachings that were very like, yeah, I meant to say this type teachings mm-hmm. that you think, man, I'd really like to change that? Mm-hmm. It's an interesting thing to say because I look yeah. back on 25 years of preaching myself. I'm like, that's a really good question. Is there anything that you're like, yeah, I'm not sure I buy that anymore? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you, you know, and let me just preface it with, when I was preaching every week at Cornerstone, there were many Sundays where the first thing I would do was apologize for something I said the week before. <laughs> I, you know, and what was cool about it, and I think this is an important point, what was cool about it was, I remember distinctly a couple of times where after I apologized, the whole congregation applauded. <laughs> and, uh, I, and, and, and that says something. It says a couple of things. One, it's like, Francis, we love you. And mm. we know you're going to make mistakes. And we love that you see when you make mistakes. And I'm going to applaud you for that. Thank you for owning up to it. Yeah, you screwed up. Yeah, that was stupid. I mean, there were a couple of really stupid ones. And, uh, you know, so... Do you remember uh, one that, that just... Because well, people are going to wonder. One, I, I did this illustration where I had a BB gun. Uh-huh. And uh, I asked, you know, how many people think I can shoot this little balloon that was like, I don't know, on the other side of the, you know, stage. So it's pretty far. <laughs> and most people raised their hands, or almost everyone, and then I go, well, how many people believe to the point where you would hold it in your hand? And there were still a few people. And then I'm like, who would stick it between their teeth, you know? And this one kid did. And so I had him go up there. And I was just going to scare him. But once I had it in the sights, I just pulled the trigger. Because I thought, <laughs> I'm this. And I hit the balloon. And I my heart's pounding. And But my point was... Who was the true believer in the room? Everyone who raised their hand or the guy that stuck it between his teeth. But meanwhile, I've got attorneys in the room going, you have lost the whole, do you know, you know, I, I have so many people. <laughs> I know. Stupid, oh, right? Francis, that's un- unbelievable. 
Let's uh but don't anyone do it because yeah, you could you could take it out. I mean Yeah, to repeat that over five services too, that would be quite the feat. No, yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. Like, <laughs> I only did it at the Saturday night service uh, and uh but anyway. <laughs> Um, uh, that is possibly the best preaching story I've ever heard. Okay, it's a you win. Illustration, though, it's right? a fantastic illustration. Everyone says they believe in Jesus. Who's going to stick this thing between their teeth? It's like, oh, oh so Francis. Okay, so so understand. There's those, but I would say the oh. things I uh, wish I could take back. Um, I used to ridicule. Um, charismatics mm. i was absolutely sure as a staunch cessationist that they were and it's not so much even the words but my attitude i think mm. that's what i wish i could take back i could see pride of like yeah. oh my gosh i just thought i knew it all and i thought these guys are ignorant and i've had to apologize to dear dear brothers of mine that i one i think theologically i was wrong but uh, whether or not I was wrong, uh, too, and more importantly, is my attitude was wrong. Um, I think about a sermon, I, uh, not even a sermon, a Q&A that I did not too long ago at Facebook. You know, I got a bunch of grief over that. Um, and I look back and I go, they're absolutely right. I was so arrogant. I, 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 I could see myself. You know, I don't like to look at my old messages, but... I'm like, gosh, why is everyone so mad? Then I look at I'm like, oh, that's why they're so mad. I know exactly what I'm thinking right then. Here's a group of Facebook employees. And, and I know, I remember my mind thinking, okay, these guys are the, you know, move fast, break things, rebellious, you know, and, and let me tell them I'm rebellious too. Oh yeah, the old church is how we did things. And, you know, I got a new way and, you know, and I could just see, oh, I, I exaggerated, uh, said things that I didn't really mean. I got caught up. I wasn't thinking about God. I was thinking about these people and how to please them and how to communicate. You know, sometimes as a communicator, you try to get a point across, mm -hmm. and suddenly all you're thinking about is how do I get this point across, and you're not thinking what is absolutely true, and you're not thinking how does God want me to say it, and you're just, you get absorbed with this and then pretty soon you're exaggerating which is lying and uh and i look at that talk and i'm going that wasn't entirely true uh so yeah it's really honest really really honest and you know i think in this whole interview francis the whole hour it's it's been so refreshing and i think anyone who listened to it and isn't willing to look in the mirror missed the point Right. Like we've got to take ourselves a little less seriously. We've got to be able to say, you know what? I, I, that was a mistake. I need, I need to change that. Uh, I found this really refreshing. So totally out of left field. Last question. Yeah. Sarah Inman has uh, what's the process of um, book writing for you? It's been different every time. I don't know. How, I honestly don't know how many I've written. It's not that many either. <laughs> six or seven, but I don't know if it's six or seven, right? But um, each time it's so radically different. And honestly, I don't even plan on writing. After I wrote You and Me Forever, I said, that is the last book I'm going to write. Um, and then I wrote letters to the church. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's the last book I'm writing. You know, 
I, cause I, I don't feel like this calling or that it's my role. It's just every once in a while, I just feel like this strong impression and whether it's of the Lord or not, I believe it is where I just think this needs to be written. And so I just go for it. And it's different every time. This last time was the hardest. A um, lot of time alone, a lot of time seeking the Lord. But it was hardest because this was the first time I had other people read it and give me their opinions. Uh, and oh my gosh, the different, you start realizing where everyone is going this and that. And other people saying, you should write it this way. And then I'm second guessing myself because I, I tend to be that type of person that I always, think, oh, this guy's smarter, this guy's smarter, this guy's smarter. And uh, and then it's not me anymore. And But the coolest thing about this last one is who actually really saved me was my 18-year-old daughter, who is brilliant. And I, I'm not, it's not false humility. She's just more intelligent than I am. And, and I feel wiser than me in some ways. And she looked at the manuscript and sat down with me. and was like, Dad, do you really mean this? Um, cause I know you and I don't think you really mean that. That sounds like you were just trying to appease these people. Like, yeah, you're right. Dad, look how you wrote this. Did someone mess with it? Cause that doesn't seem like how you would say it. I'm like, yeah, someone messed with it and I just let them go, you know? And she just went through the entire manuscript and I'm like, will you just sit down with me for a week and can we finish this thing up together? And so it was just awesome. Like that's a like, gift. Man. Yeah. My own daughter who would think like, you know, when this kid's born, oh, yeah, 18 years from now, she's going to be able to help me finish writing this book that I'm going to be so frustrated with. But it becomes this amazing bonding, you know, just dream. It's not even a dream come true because I never dreamt it. It's like, yeah, on what I could have dreamt. And so to say, how do I do it? It's like, I don't know how I write. Every time it's so, so different. Um, but it comes from a lot of time with the Lord and lessons he's taught me through time and lessons I've already taught other people. And so then just putting all that in print just takes a different form each time. Sarah also wants to know what your go-to karaoke song is. Go-to karaoke? <laughs> karaoke. Uh, it must have been 20 years ago. So, um, you know, I did this video, <laughs> <laughs> video for my wife um, probably 15 years ago maybe longer, maybe 20 years ago. It was back when, you know, you had to piece things together and yeah, yeah. this whole music video for her, I, I think 30th birthday. Um, it was Shania Twain. Um, you're still the one. Ah. Still the one I run to. You know, that one. <laughs> so that was, <laughs> that's awesome. That, that was my idea. I don't do karaoke that often. Yeah, I don't do karaoke either. I don't have a go-to song, Francis. This has been awesome. Anything else you want to say before we wrap up? And uh, yeah, I, I, I covered a lot. So. It's so much. I just, I just want people to know. Look, I, one, I am so sorry. Uh, I know I've said things that have hurt people unintentionally. Uh, other times, I've said things that have hurt people intentionally. Um, kind of like that, uh, what Paul says in Second. Uh, Corinthians about, you know, I, I did want to cause some sorrow that led to repentance and praise God for that. Um, but I am sorry for all the human mistakes and the arrogance and um, miscommunication and 
Uh, I've made a lot of mistakes over these 30-something years in ministry, and I have hurt people. Um, and I just, I am really sorry. And I'm sorry to God because he wants his body to be one. And it kills me to think that, that I'm part of the problem. Man, and I know I am. And pray for me. Give me wisdom. I don't want to do that. I want his church to be one. And there will be times when I add to the problem, please show a little grace. And I'm trying to do that with others. And I, we never know the line. And so... Um, pray, pray that I, I become more humble, um, that all of Francis would die, that he'd be crucified with Christ. And it's no longer him that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. And, and let's, let's pray that for one another and, and just, um, yeah, humility, humility, humility. I need more of it. Francis, I just want to thank you. You've uh, taught me a lot. Every time I read you, every time I hear you speak, I feel more convicted. <laughs> I also feel uh, more convicted to love and to serve, and uh, you challenge me. And so I know I'm someone who's actually benefited from your ministry immensely personally. So uh, thank you for your humility. Uh, thank you for letting us see um, the real you. And uh, thanks for opening your heart. It was uh, really an incredible um, hour and some together. So I know you kind of hide on the internet, but if somebody wanted to connect with your work, where would they be able to find you? Where's the best place? Uh, the best place would be at crazylove.org. Um, you know, there's a team of people that just kind of grabs my sermons and puts them on there and, and gives little updates. Again, I just try not to make everything public. Um, but yeah, but that would probably be the best spot, at least to hear from me. Well, I am extremely excited to see what's next for you. <laughs> and uh, thanks for continuing to pour uh, into the church with a capital C and so many people's lives. Francis, I'm grateful for you. Yeah. Thanks, Carrie. Well, I told you it wasn't boring. <laughs> Francis, thank you. Thank you so much for your openness and transparency. Guys, everything we talked about, including the transcript, is available at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 313, or you can just head to leadlikeneverbefore.com, search Francis's name and my name, and you'll find it all there. Show notes, transcripts, the whole deal. We love being able to bring those to you. This episode's also available on YouTube. So uh, we do have a small and fledgling presence on YouTube for some of these episodes. And uh, if you prefer to watch or you want to share it that way, please do so. And if this episode has meant something to you, would you share it on social? Uh, we are trying to create space for the good people on the internet to hang out. And my guess is you're one of them and that you've got some good people you'd like to share this with. So we want that tribe to grow this year. And uh, thank you so much for sharing. We have some free stuff for you to start off 2020 as well. A productivity guide. From Belay, just text Carrie to 31996. That's C A R E Y to 31996. And uh, make sure you also check out ministrygrid.com forward slash Carrie. I did some exclusive courses for them, shorter courses. You can check it out and it's absolutely free. And if you complete the courses, they're going to send you a copy of my latest book, Didn't See It Coming, as a gift. No strings attached. So head on over to ministrygrid.com forward slash carry. Kind of a fun way to start off 2020. Uh, we are back next week with a fresh episode. Louis Giglio is here. He just wrapped up the biggest passion event ever. 
And we have another remarkably honest, disarming conversation about how to take the relentless pressure off yourself as a leader. I think you're going to love it. Here's an excerpt. And to be able to stand in that moment, things happen that are intangible. Hmm. And yes, I can listen to Christine Kane a lot of places, and I can hear John Piper speak, or I can hear this particular worship song sung, but I've never heard it sung with 70,000 people my age before. And it's not a goosebump moment. It's a goosebump conference. (laughs) And so it is. It's the transcendence of, if you gather in my name, I'll be there in your midst. But something about 60,000 of you gathering in my name, it's powerful and palpable. And I do believe it's the X factor and it's the intangible that when you say to somebody, tell me about Passion 2020, I go, uh, nah, never mind. Because you know, there just there really isn't a way in a sentence standing in a restaurant to convey what we experienced in that place together. There's also an incredible insight in that podcast about uh, how people are processing live events. It's it's great, man. I'm so excited about this lineup. If you're new to the podcast, somebody shared this with you. You can subscribe for free. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Uh, what is there? Tune in, Overcast, wherever you happen to listen. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We do this about six times a month, and we've got six episodes this month to kick off 2020. Um, please do share and let us know how this podcast is impacting your leadership. I also have a, a free, almost daily newsletter that I send out to over 55,000 leaders that you can get by simply going to carrynewhoff.com. And you can subscribe. Just give us your email, your name, and we're happy to send that to you. A lot of people we hear every day how people find that helpful. And if you are looking for fresh leadership content for a brand new year, I hope that helps you. Well, guys, thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.